The Oscar goes to... And the winner is... And the Oscar goes to... The winner is... The Oscar goes to... M-M-O-W's Oscar Race Update. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. A loaded Oscar Race Checkpoint episode for you today. Hey, didn't you guys just put out an ORC episode? Listen... (laughs) We're swimming upstream, trying to keep our heads above this current of nonstop award season news. We're doing our best, okay? I'm Mike One. That's co-host also, Mike. I can barely stay afloat in a pool. <laughs> you, you have a swimming upstream? Yeah. Maybe, well, maybe now I shouldn't have compared us to doing cardio. You are a track coach. You'd survive. But I'm, we're both like human buoys. I'd we're be not... dead. <laughs> <laughs> that is where we are today, though. This is your Oscar race checkpoint. We do have Metaphor a loaded episode. for drowning right at the top <laughs> yeah, of the show. Right. Started on a high note. Why <laughs> don't news about blockbusters or some of the bigger movies happening in Hollywood, some of the other news. We have a whole other separate news show for you once a week called MMO Weekly. That will be out, God willing, at the end of your work week to get you headed to the theaters for this show. Oscar Race Checkpoint is our once weekly check-in on all things award season and Oscar-centric news. So let's get right to it, Michael. Big show today. What are we starting with? Yeah, we're going to bookend the episode with our Make the Case segment, which is essentially our movie review segment. It's like our what we're watching Thank you. segment that we do on MMOW. Yes. So we're going to start with like a Richard Jewell non-spoiler review, head into the end of the episode, we'll review Waves, Michael give his take on Marriage Story, etc. Oh, it's coming. First things first, though. Clint Eastwood knows how to make this particular movie. He made a similar film with Sully, the Tom Hanks movie. I thought he nailed it again. He nailed those th- th- this kind of story again. It's a B all day for me. Yeah, same here. Some bad cliches. Some... But that's why it's a B, right? It's by no right. means a perfect movie, but I think there are some super highs. And I think the highs for me start with every performer. I-, I said this to you before we sat down. Is this the most likable on paper ensemble cast that we've ever had, or at least in 2019? Well, I, I like the hell out of Kathy Bates. Yes. I like the hell out of Paul Walter Hauser. Of course. Who doesn't like Olivia Wilde and John Hamm? Beautiful people. Marilyn Manson made a song about them. That's right. And then the rest of the cast, who am I forgetting? They're they're all super likable, yes. I, I, I can't take taking aside what these characters did and how they acted and what their roles. Sam Rockwell is another one that obviously this the performance is kind of the this whole movie hinges on. But I think the performances were great, but more than that, these these performances were great and helped in part because we do like these people so much. But that's Neither here nor there when I say, I think the performances are the stars of this movie overall. And it's a movie dependent on performances because it's not that cinematic. There's the big event. Yes. And then there's like meetings. A lot of meetings. Phone calls. (laughs) A lot of depositions and phone calls and knocking on doors. Yeah. You can do that in a novel. You can do that in any other medium as well. You don't need the big screen for all that. What you need here is character actors that can play the hell out of it and draw you into those close-ups. And you get those. And I guess we could start by, I guess, at least addressing this controversy Mm. that Olivia Wilde has been attached to. Now, full disclosure, she came out. She's playing this Kathy Scraggs character who was portrayed or at least accused of being portrayed because she wasn't portrayed this way. But anyway, accused of being portrayed as a journalist who traded sex for information with the FBI. She came out at first and said, I don't think it's a negative or an anti-feminist thing for a person. Olivia Wilde said this, yes. I don't think it's an anti-feminist thing for someone to be sex positive. And then she also said, I didn't have control about how this character was written. 
Um, here's my hot take on this entire controversy. <laughs> this is a dumb thing. This is a dumb controversy, and it's dumb for us to think it's, it's a controversy at all. It's dumb because who doesn't want to have sex with John Hamm? That's our hot take today. We both agreed. We both wrote down the same goddamn thing. We're both straight guys. Yes. But if you're in a bar and John Hamm is there, every woman in the bar yeah. is doing whatever they want to do or whatever they have to do to go home with John Not Hamm. Not even every woman. Us Mar- too. Married right. women. Big, fat, single men. Straight guys who thought they were straight their whole lives. Yes. They're going home with John Hamm because they want to. And objectively speaking, like, yes, it would be good for humanity if Olivia Wilde and John Hamm actually made children. Sorry, Jason Sudeikis. But objectively speaking, what happens in the movie, the progression of facts in this movie, is that Olivia Wilde flirts with John Hamm. John Hamm insinuates there's going to be some kind of sexual activity, but he's not sure of it. Yeah. He gives her information... Then she says, okay, let's have sex. They didn't trade it. And he says, oh, we're actually going to do this? As if he's surprised because he didn't think he was actually going to get sex for information. That's how it read to me anyway. Look, I I don't think it's ethical for journalists to have sex with their sources, especially before you trade information or whatnot. I think that's wrong. It's probably frowned upon in the business, I would imagine. Yes. I think you're right to say that that did not happen here, even though there might have been implications or whatever. I do think that this character it comes around in a big way that's unearned. So I think the character does not work in the movie. I think if they followed her real life, it would have worked much better. There's more catharsis in this woman's real life. I mean, unfortunately, she passed away years ago. Right. So she's not alive to defend herself. A lot of her colleagues are up in arms. They're very upset about this recent controversy because they're like, this is not who she was. Right. Right, and uh, and you're making a good point too that that you know, yes, the Atlanta Journal Constitution is upset, but there is a difference to me, and the the true tra- travesty of this mm-hmm. entire controversy to me is th- what I'm about to say with the Atlanta Journal Constitution. You can be upset, you can criticize the movie, you can display facts as a journalistic entity is to do Mm -hmm. to prove why the movie was wrong, to prove why this fictitious piece of entertainment that is not historically documented is incorrect. Mm -hmm. What you cannot do as a journalistic enterprise, the Atlanta Constitution Journal has sued Clint Eastwood for this movie. Libel, slander, etc. Saying Kathy Scraggs was being misappropriated, displayed in a poor way, etc., etc. If a journalistic enterprise... A warehouse that is supposed to just display facts objectively. Right. And you could say what you want about what the current state of news media is. I understand that. But ideally, a journalistic enterprise such as this newspaper is supposed to just portray facts and let you make up your own decision and your own lens with them, correct? If you're going to be that enterprise and sue, essentially censure a piece of holy what is well known and documented to be entertainment. This is not purporting to be a factual piece of history. This is a movie. It's based on a true event. All the characters have their same names, but it is not a retelling of what actually happened. It is clearly a piece of entertainment. If you have something that's supposed to be an independent third party trying to censor entertainment, that's bad for the First Amendment all around. Everybody loses in that case. And this is the movie industry from the get-go. Yes, this has always happened. Robert Redford didn't undo Nixon, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, look, we got mad at, you know, White Lies said in movies last year. Sure, and you can't, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Get mad. We know the stories, and then we heard the families, you know, yep. come back out. Like, you can get mad at sure. it. Sure. Did they sue? 
that's you can't censor you whenever you censor expression in speech nobody loses but everybody Mm-hmm. Right, everybody else. You talked about being cathartic already. You're having that that expression come out. That's all you're doing is hampering that catharticism, and you're making it more difficult for it to happen for the next person. And my God, that's pretty much a message of this movie, right? And I hope <laughs> catharticism is a word because I like it. Me too. <laughs> Let's move on from that yes. controversy because I think it's a nothing burger at the end of the day. I would agree. I hope so. Anyway. Let's make the case for Paul Walter Hauser. God, was he great! I thought he is a top five performance on the year for me in this category of all categories, which is the most loaded category that we've ever talked about. Because I, I think he's crushing the suspense scenes. I think he's being physical. He's running and yelling. Yep. He's moving people. He's interacting with a hundred different extras. He's crushing the emotional scenes that escalate throughout the film. So you're left with these scenes that Floria kind of like J-Lo did at the end of yeah, Hustlers. Good comparison. I think you truly get this man who's, you know, in this pressure cooker and he's cracking by degrees and you get that performance that is super grounded where it's this guy just one scene gets worse than the next and he's like, he has a little twitch in the following scene. I can't believe the nuances and the big moments of this performance, how this is not on more people's top fives. I don't get it. I think it's, it's, it is prejudice against the fact that he's only done a couple movies at this level. Oh yeah. I would say probably that probably also the controversy has had more headlines than any kind of performance from this has, which is a fucking shame because right. I echo everything you just said. I loved every performance. I especially, we need a casting category at the Oscars because yeah. this, I would advocate for this because everything was perfectly done. I can't imagine somebody else pulling this performance off and it's a different kind of emotional restraint performance than we're used to talking about from our leading men recently. The one I keep going back to is Ryan Gosling from First Man, how he couldn't, he knew he couldn't be emotional. This character almost, it was as if he didn't understand the emotional weight of what he was, I mean, he clearly does understand, but he wanted so badly just to relate to the quote-unquote good guys that he was sacrificing so much of his disdain for the situation, which is what fired up Sam Rockwell's character, and they all played so beautifully off one another, led by Hauser. There's a say it ain't so kind of quality yes. to performance performance because I look up to you guys yeah. and of course you're letting me down so hard but I'm not going to believe it. You know, I'll do anything you want because you're the good guys and you're I'm innocent. Yeah. And he doesn't feel like he has to, you know, hold things back. I I, I thought it's a terrific performance. It works on many levels. I was not ready to see another top fiver for me. No, I'm in this you. category because I'm like there's no room. And here he is. And I, I'll go a step further, and I'll say I think Rockwell's being done a disservice with his performance, too. I thought he was... Spe- <laughs> him and Bates. Every performance, Mike. I loved it. This Rockwell performance is superior to last year's Rockwell Vice performance. It's not close. It's not even close. <laughs> it's not, really and not. this year, Rockwell's an afterthought. He's like, everybody's 15. I know. I don't and get it. Just absolutely head and shoulders above the mimicry on display of that SNL sketch that he did, you know, for for the Vice movie. I, I, I'm so disheartened by this. Maybe it's a Clint Eastwood thing. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a box office thing because this was supposedly Clint Eastwood's lowest box office debut in four decades because all of a sudden box office apparently matters when you're talking about Oscars because we needed a narrative to fit this as to why it's not an Academy. I mean, it's it's a, it's a little ridiculous when we get to that. We pick and choose what types of thing matters, but it wouldn't be the Oscars without it. But nonetheless... We're speaking very glowingly about this. Again, I want to kind of temper those expectations. It is a B. It's not a perfect movie, but if you go looking for performances and looking for Oscar-worthy performances, you have, like, three of them in this one movie. 
there's three Oscar level performances, no doubt about it. And and again, at the center of this, you have a character that I related to, mm-hmm. I rooted for, I suspected, I doubted. Yeah. I needed him to show me his true colors by the end of this. I mean, he's having these great scenes while he's eating a donut. Which, I, how do you have that acting scene? I mean, we've heard this from other actors. It's very hard to act while eating, and the man's pulling it off. Which was the better donut Oscar moment this year? <laughs> was it Daniel Craig's uh, explanation in Knives Out of the case, or was it that scene with Paul Walter Hauser and the donut? If Daniel Craig was eating a donut while he had that explanation, I might consider him. No, it was Paul Walter Hauser. 2019, Year of the Donut. And there's something about Hauser that just... You want to believe and you want to hope, and he is so relatable. You just see so much of yourself in that character, and maybe it's because he comes off as humble, and maybe it's because we've loved him since I, Tanya, when I thought he was brilliant in that scumbag role, which took all kinds of touch. But, God, there's something there with this guy. I, I can't wait to see what he does more of. I thought he was terrific, and I was shocked uh, Same. at the Same level here. of his performance. Uh, let's make the case real quick for Kathy Bates. Uh, Mike, she's my number one in supporting actress. Wow. Right now. Wow. Number one. I, I think she plays all our moms. She plays everybody's yeah. mom oh here. Oh, my God. Heartbreaking. So uh, I immediately related to it. I think she's got hugely emotional scenes. And I think they're built up to by, again, pressure cooker kind of scenes where she's cracking by degrees. I mean, this, the same arc plays for her as it played for Richard Jewell himself. Uh, all she needed was a scene in the mirror. <laughs> if she had a seat in the mirror, there would be no question, there would be no point. variance, she would be nominated for all the precursors and we wouldn't have issues. Well, she's probably the one hope this movie does have at breaking through on Academy Sunday, again, for whatever reason, but she's at least got a couple nominations right. and wins under her belt. Um, I would love, I echo what you're saying, I don't know that she's my number one, she's in my top five without question, I would love to see her be in that conversation. I, I'm stunned by how good every character was in this movie. Uh, chalk it up to the talent, chalk it up to Clint Eastwood. I, I don't know where to land on it. I guess I, the only thing I can do is uh, I'll try to play devil's advocate for a moment. Is there anything to the gripe, and I haven't even seen it written that much, so I could be full of nothing here, but is there anything to the complaint that maybe they were a little too altruistic, that maybe Richard Jewell was too relatable, too nice a guy, too much of a of, of a doormat at times, too much of a all shucks, do whatever you want type of guy? You're right. He's a little bit too innocent, but right. I think there are other notes there in this performance where I'm not going to kill it for just being a little one notey at certain times. And you get over, I, I was able to get by that too. I mean, you are given enough in here. Listen, it's a historical thing. We probably all know the ending. I, we were not going to spoil it, but you're given enough to at least you have your suspicions all the way. The Olivia Wilde performance is one note. And that's yes. my biggest problem with that character. And, it, it, she, and then they hit a drastic other note that has no makes no sense. It's ridiculous. Yeah. There's like a transitional scene. They try for it. It didn't work for me. This character, you could totally see the arc. I want to see like a cinematic universe of just Sam Rockwell <laughs> and Paul Walter Hauser's character. Like I want them to go with like a buddy cop movie or solve other crimes or just put them in other historical dramatic situations. I love these. I just want to hang out with these guys. We want Benoit Blanc. <laughs> we want a whole series right. with him. Right. And we want whatever that uh, Sam Rockwell character's lawyer <laughs> right. movie. We want Watson. That. What a great name for a sidekick too. Perfect. Watson. Yeah. Perfect. Go see Richard Jewell, please. And we'll pivot now. We got some awards to talk about. Some more societies giving out some hardware. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about sound mixing and then the sound editing guilds, Mike. The Cinema Audio Society nominations first. They picked Ford v. Ferrari, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Rocket Man, and The Irishman. So, number one, mm-hmm. if sound mixers have their own society, shouldn't they get their own award? And that's a question asked on the back of what we talked about last ORC, how the Academy was considering melding the mi- sound mixing and sound editing categories together. If there's people that work on these things, don't do that, would be my advice. And if sound mixing were actually the mixing of sounds, which it is not. (laughs) The yearly conversation. It is not. (laughs) It is the creation of sound. If it were actually the mixing of sounds, where is 1917? I get, where is 1917? Because most people have it as their top contender for this award. Again, Ford, Joker, Hollywood, Rocketman, Irishman. Yeah, it's a little shocking because... War movies usually do well, especially in sound mixing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dunkirk and Hacksaw Ridge, just for example, have won it two of the last three years. Les Mis, Gravity, Birdman, The Revenant, La La Land, Dunkirk, and Bull Rap, they've all won this award in recent years. Of those seven award winners picked by CAS, those are the ones that won this Cinema Audio Society Award uh, for sound mixing. Those winners, those past seven, only four would claim the mixing category on Oscar Sunday. Not that much of a crossover. It's also not that much of a history I went into with it, so uh, we'll see what happens. But I'm surprised, as you are, that 1917 is not on this list. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Let's move on to sound editing. They had three categories, dialogue, sound effects, and then musical underscore. Uh, two movies got all three nominations. Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Joker, everybody was high on. Hollywood was on the outside looking in for most people's projections here. If I were to be an advocate for a film such as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and make the claim that it should win a lot of Oscars, if I was that person, I would be proposing an Oscars puzzle theory right now that says (laughs) there's clearly a lot of people that want this movie to do well. All the branches like it. So it needs to win these awards, and this is just the precursor of an oncoming onslaught. If I was that person, Mike, this is the type of thing I would say, but I'm an objective third party. I can't say that. That's right. (laughs) All right, so who got both dialogue and sound effects? 1917, Avengers Endgame, Ford v. Ferrari got two. Who got musical underscore? We had Ad Astra, Dolomite, Joker, JoJo, Little Women, Hollywood Queen, and Slim Waves. Who just got sound effects, A Hidden Life, John Wick 3, Star Wars. Who just got dialogue, Irishman, JoJo, Rabbit, Rocketman. That's a lot of movies listed in a short amount of time. Here's my overall take. Yeah. Based on these guild noms, I think you're going to have a few of these movies that are so spectacular in the sound effects area that you might get a nomination at, at the end of the day because it's just so great there. Or the music, like last year, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yep. The musical underscore is so good there that you have to have it. Like Dol- Dolomite had great music in it, right? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is pretty good at all of them, nominated in all of them, right? Joker's pretty good in all of them, nominated in all of them. Something like 1917, which actually somehow gives you the illusion that's all one continuous take. Just because it didn't get nominated for all three, is it still good enough to get a nomination? Otherwise, we should just be going with... The, the ones that got the most knocks. Well, you know, Mike, if I were a type of man that would advocate for some type of... I think, in all seriousness, there's a lot of people, I think, that are starting to count out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the whole reason I said you can't say it's not a Best Picture contender yet is because it is top three. And it's not just top three Best Picture. It's top three everywhere. Right. In every category it has, including these undercard ones... 
for a thing to get Best Picture, we routinely see either it's going to have a couple wins on the undercard, or the undercard is going to go in a Mad Max type sweep to the, hey, sorry, we couldn't take you seriously as a Best Picture. And maybe Joker wins all these because it's not going to be taken seriously as a Best Picture candidate at the end of the day. And Joker wins all these. So there is something to, I think, the idea that those are the two movies right now that get nominated in all the sound categories that we're talking about. Um, nonetheless, I'm very surprised about the lack of 1917. I'm very proud about Avengers Endgame getting mentioned at all. I'm very curious as to know if you're going to have the type of category for musical underscore, where the hell is us? That's my question. Yeah. Those are my thoughts on the hot takes in the sound editing category. That's sad. Well, the sound categories could portray or convey overall strength on the movie. I would agree with that. It's interesting that the sound editing branch turned into a best picture conversation, though. So we're getting there. We're building up to it. It's going to be that time of year. (laughs) (laughs) Women's Film Critics Circle winners. All right, th- this is important because, number one, they got a great lineup of awards. This is awesome. <laughs> I loved reading through this. It might I think be my new is, favorite award show. It might be. <laughs> and they got movies that I still, I'm dying to see yeah. that we haven't got to yet. They got some movies that are some of my favorites on the year that that are underrated. Mm-hmm. And then in, amongst all this talk, everybody's talking about this movie, that movie, getting snubbed. We're talking about some of those movies here. All right. Portrait of a Lady on Fire wins Best Movie About Women, Best Foreign Film About Women, and Best Screen Couple. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is winning a lot of stuff, Mike. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is going to be the best film that doesn't get nominated in any Oscar category, if that comes to be. Because we know it can't be nominated in Best International Feature. Is that going to make it an afterthought in all the other categories? It's had some track record of success with the screenplay. It's had some track record of success in picture. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's going to make the Best Picture category, but it... If it gets shut out of the Oscars, I still think it might be the strongest picture to be shut out of the Oscars this year. Because it has this record. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not Avengers Endgame, but that's good. Right, right, right. right. But Avengers Endgame, we know we'll get VFX or whatever. Harriet wins Best Movie Made by a Woman. It wins the Karen Morley and Josephine Baker Awards as well. There's been so many people so high on Harriet, I am very tempted to give it another watch. Just yeah. wondering if we, because we were so in lockstep with that every, and maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, life happens, life gets in the way of your viewing sometimes, and maybe we went in with the wrong kind of mindset, maybe we were crunching and exhausted for time. I don't know, but there's, we have to miss something, right, about that. I I, I want to give it a second yeah. myself. I, I would agree with you. Best woman storyteller goes to Greta Gerwig again. This is a testament to the, her screenwriting capabilities. It's a good omen for her going forward in that race. Can't wait to see that Little Women. So best actress, we had a tie between Lupita Nyong'o and Cynthia Erivo here. So this is awesome. Obviously, two black leading women tying for the Women Film Critic Award for Best Actress. Just on its face, that sentence is really cool. Uh, for whatever reason, the history of this award is a little difficult to track down. I found a website didn't whatever Mm -hmm. but from what i was able to find so take this maybe with a grain of salt but i think this is only the second time in this circle's history that a black woman has won the award here and now they have three winners three african-american winners that's awesome definitely awesome we have best documentary about women we have a tie between honeyland and maiden now i respectfully disagree (laughs) i was gonna say you're clearly are in favor of this here i i just think uh one was a good movie and the other one was just a cacophony (laughs) of yelps screams and moose that of course being maiden yes Honeyland was loud. It was an audible nightmare. I'll just say that much. All right. Marriage Story won Best Actor. 
and it won the Best Equality of the Sexes Award. Number one, I think this is a great award to have. Yes. This is like a real shit award. Imagine if Battle of the Sexes didn't win the Best Equality of the Sexes Award <laughs> a couple years ago. Right. Good point. <laughs> All right. So Best Equality of the Sexes Award. Now, I don't think this means POV, obviously. So that's a simple explanation. But... In in terms of POV, we're going to get to marriage story later in the episode, but the POV shifts to Adam Driver. I thought that was an honest take by Noah Baumbach because, fuck you, Noah Baumbach. Don't tell the woman's point of view. Yes. You're a guy. Agreed. You ha- you were so invested in this. That, you, that would be the honest take to have to shift the POV a little And have more. the balls to star in the sequel yourself, you coward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee, you, you can do this. How, how toxic can the work set really be? You have a kid together. We know that's not Adam Driver's real hairstyle. Yeah. Can you imagine? That's like my fantasy movie. That's the audacity of me during award season. Can you imagine if they co-directed that? That would have been a better movie. It would have taken 18 years in production. <laughs> they would have killed every. They would kill each other, and I, the blood would have been on my hands. Yes. Anyway, so I'm I'm a little sad for this award this year, is what I'm saying, because I wish there was a movie where if you had co-directors, if you had equal POV, that that could have won this award. So you're saying I mean, you wanted more women-helmed films, essentially, is what you're saying out of this. In this award, yeah. I, I wanted the women's perspective yeah. in this award, but I, it's not... It makes a lot of sense, yeah. yeah. I, I would agree with that. And it's, again, I know there are people that are tired of us banging that drum, but it's so painfully obvious that it's still a very white, very male-run industry from down to not only the producing of the film, but the making of the film and even the POV through which we view the films. It's sad, and it sucks, and it needs to change, and we are hoping, as we always say, we're getting to that point, but never quick enough. They had some important awards, some more important awards. The Acting and Activism Award went to Jane Fonda. That's a stretch, huh? (laughs) (laughs) The Lifetime Achievement Award went to Alfre Woodard. Good for her. Uh, I wish she was doing better right now. Yeah, me too. Now, the Invisible Woman Award, which goes to a supporting performance by a woman whose exceptional impact on the film, dramatically, socially, or historically, has been ignored. Try and put that on a trophy. (laughs) (laughs) This one goes to Janelle Monae for Harriet. Okay. I love this. Am I interpreting this award correctly in that they give it to an overlooked supporting character from that year, right? That's how I interpreted this? I, I think you're right in that it's the underrated award, but I do think like she had all of those adverbs. Right. Those roles, those adverbs were in this movie. That was the function of her character. I love the way she her character like just blew me away. That brings up my confusion because does it always have to go to a historical figure portrayal because they were overlooked by history, or is it just the the history of the moment is overlooking the portrayal? But nonetheless, if this is the underrated of the yeah. year award, yeah. This should be an Oscar category. It's like we just <laughs> talked about with sound editing, Mike. They have three awards. If she came up with two, maybe she right. gets a nom. And pro- I don't know. All right. So the Adrian Shelley Award goes to a film that opposes violence against women. That was a tie between Bombshell and The Nightingale. Then we have a really fun award. Uh, we have Francis Conroy getting the Mommy Dearest Worst <laughs> Screen Mom of the Year Award. That's just pretty funny. Right? Well, these are great categories. I wish all awards show had a little... We always lament how the Saturn Awards have so many different categories mm-hmm. and how Critics' Choice has different categories that you, you get your horror appeasement. Why not have fun categories at awards? Because it's too long. Shut up! That's what I say to you in your complaint. 
All right, so we're going to do a little segment now about the Critics Scoreboard, and we want to send you all to nextbestpicture.com because that is where we are getting, or keeping up on our news and our and friend of the show, Matt Neglia. God bless the work that team does. What a great job they've been doing with that right-hand column yep. of every article they put out there. You can go and you can see all the critics' associations and circles and various precursors. You can see the stats, and you and I are stat heads. Yes. We love it. So we basically right now we want to talk about all of the critics associations that have been weighing in every half hour, it seems. Yeah, so to underscore that, these are all critics associations. And also, if we bring up a number of awards, that's likely or very probably to change within the next couple hours anyway. So what we're talking about is the overall ranking more so than the actual specific numbers as much as we are stat geeks. So just okay. a word of warning. So best picture. Parasite is well in the lead. Then you have Irishman and Hollywood with a third of the Parasite votes. Mm -hmm. But today, from Boston to Phoenix to Detroit, Chicago, or last couple days, Parasite's just been getting one award after the next. So, my take, mm -hmm. and I know uh, I'm going to sound biased here, and I, I feel like, you know, at this point, you all know where I stand on it, but it's important to remember they are critic circles. Uh, and what I take from this is that if you look at just critic circle numbers for best picture, mm -hmm. I think you're going to be deceived because it well, is such year, a runaway right last now. Last year we were deceived. Right, and that's the point I'm Roma making. If, if you're new to this, be wary by going too heavily into what the critics are thinking. Mm -hmm. I think you can learn something from critics. I'm even on the record, and I truly believe certain critic circles, more of the major ones, you can glean more information about what the Academy will do from them than you can, say, the HFPA. Right. Uh, I, I firmly believe that. But just be careful by going by the critic score tally. And all you have to do is look at last year, and all you have to do is look at the best actor category from last year, for Christ's sake. Ethan Hawke won 30-some-odd critic circle awards for best actor. Doesn't show up to Critics' Choice, doesn't get nominated at the Oscars, so it's all there. So just be a little weary about that. All that said, if you do look at the critics' numbers, Parasite's in a runaway right now, and again, I say... I don't think that's true to life. I don't think Parasite has this wrapped up yet. All that being said, it's good for Parasite. Of course, yes. The fact that they're winning all these awards, it's really helping its profile. It probably needs all these awards to really get the Have that shot, yeah. You know, Roma was probably close in terms of the vote last year, I would guess. So all that, that boost throughout award season from all the critics' associations probably helped it. I, I would agree with what you're saying. I think you make a good point. I would Just when you get to the Academy level, is this body... Mm. that's still handing out Best Picture Awards to fucking Green Book. <laughs> really, and Shape of Water, going to embrace up and down the international feature, the non-English language speaking. Are we really going to wholly embrace that? There's not going to be a little section of the older academy out there that's just out of spite going to go by the old ways? Here's where I'm landing on it at this particular moment. I think Parasite's running away with the critic scoreboard more so than Roma did last year. I think Parasite getting nominated for the SAG Ensemble Award is I think it's having a better resume than Roma did last year. So I think you're right. It's a stronger international film contender obviously. We're still waiting for the shortlist. It's going to win international film unless they do something weird. All right, let's move on to Best Director because, again, we have Bong Joon-ho from Parasite running away with this thing. He has 10 last I looked. Scorsese has four. Tarantino, three. The Safdie brothers have two, and Sam Mendes has two as well. Nice to see the Safdie brothers making a little noise. I'm surprised Sam Mendes isn't making more noise, and it seems to be Scorsese is the one to take more credibly in the director category. Tarantino's probably going to be looking at another original screenplay if he's going to get his name mentioned at all on Oscar Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what the 
delineation is between those two. But again, this is Parasite and a Runaway, and the same questions persist that I had in the last category. But at least there's the precedent here. Correct. Where Cuaron Correct. took it last year. It would make some sense here. Best Actress, Mike Lupita Nyong'o, is is it out to a huge lead. 14 total uh, thus far. Renee Zellweger with five. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, three. Aquafina, Cynthia Erivo, Saoirse Ronan, and Mary Kay Place all have won one. And this is indicative of the warning I've been preaching this entire right. scoreboard segment because Lupita Nyong'o is not definitively not the favorite in the best actress category. Renee Zellweger might be right now just by default. And if it's not her, it's probably Scarlett Joe. Right. I would agree with that. So I still expect Lupita to make it there Oscar Sunday. Mm-hmm. Just That's just a gut feeling I have. I think the SAGs are very wise to her and I don't put a lot of stock in her being overlooked by the HFPA for <clears throat> reasons. Um, Why is that funny? It's not funny. <laughs> it's sad. It's I guess so sad. you have to laugh. I guess right. One of those things. But oh, so God. that's that's what I'm I'm saying here. Now it's nice to see that she has the critics backing, and I think again, much like with Parasite and Best Picture, it's probably only going to help her case. All right, I want to rejoice in something because I do think we've seen progress for horror movie performances based on Lupita being a much stronger candidate than Tony Collette was a couple years back. Because Tony Collette had a similar tally at at an earlier stage. And then she kind of evened out. I think at the end of that scoreboard, she was even with whoever else was there. Now, Lupita is way out front. She is a much stronger candidate from a horror movie. I think Universal's doing a much better job of campaigning for I her. I think they're going hard for us, and they may get her in at the end of the day. But the big precursors came through for Lupita more so than they did for Tony. Yeah, that SAG nom is huge. I mean, Tony Collette of the major ones, even Golden Globes, the only the only precursor, major precursor award she was nominated for, didn't even win, was Critics' Choice. Right. Lupita getting in on the SAGs. We knew it was over with Tony right, Collette. Right, right. Uh, well, we I were, refuse to believe it, but yes, we, we knew. Were screaming Deep into, down. <laughs> screaming into the void. Right. Came, You're Damon's right. void. All yeah. right. Best actor. Adam Driver is out to a similar lead. Adam Sandler is in second place. Antonio Banderas in third. Joaquin Phoenix and Eddie Murphy in fourth and fifth. Now, Mike, I wonder if Adam Sandler, it's just a New York thing, right? That's what I was wondering beforehand. But Some now people have said that. He's getting all these other cities. Yeah. So I wonder if it's kind of a critic. Is he just a critical darling? Because he's at six right now. It's going to be one of the most unique things to watch this this coming Oscar season about where he is handled uh, alone. Because you're right, he does have a lot of critics backing. Uh, he's obviously got friends within the the Academy as right. well. He's been around a long time. He could be one of those guys where it's like, uh, maybe it's his, it's his time to be nominated. And if he bumps off Leo, I will be forever furious. But... My take from this is pick your biggest story about this leaderboard right now. Mm-hmm. You could say Adam Sandler is the biggest story being in second place with the second most amount of wins right now. Yeah. It could be Leo not being there at all. It could be uh, Eddie Murphy having more than Leo as well. Joaquin Phoenix only has two at the moment. Like, There's a ton of big stories in this best actor category that I think don't do a lot in shining a light as to what the hell is going on outside of I still believe we have those three, yeah. Driver, Leo, even though he's not showing up here, and Phoenix with two spots to go to whoever. So, Leo got love from the precursors, obviously. Yes. You know, Adam Driver is a critical darling. That makes sense. Joaquin Phoenix not being a critical darling also makes sense to me. I could see it either way, yeah, sure. With right? that movie, especially, The yes. movie to critics was very polarizing. Right. Film Twitter was a magical, insane place. 
when Joker came out. At the end of our Joker character study there, Michael. But Ethan Hawke ran away with this. And ran away with this scoreboard. Unlike anything I think we've ever seen. It was ridiculous. It was like 40-something. Yeah, I was going to say 35, 36. Absurd. And so how much does this matter in terms of the critics? I'm sorry, critics. You may not matter in this regard. (laughs) Some of you do. (laughs) The ones we talk to do. (laughs) The ones we talk to. Anybody who doesn't talk to us. Sorry, you don't matter in terms of who's picking the best actor, I guess. We'll see. Maybe you do. Supporting actress Laura Dern is is a... Jennifer Lopez is four, Florence Pugh with three, Divine Joy Randolph, Margot Robbie with two, and then Kathy Bates, Thomas and Mackenzie's, Zhao Shuzen, all have one apiece. Pugh's the interesting name to me right off the bat. Uh, awards ace Eric Weber, I know, has been pushing for her to make some noise in the category and become a surprise contender. I think she has more work to do as far as precursor goes. I still think this is a, a two headed race as far as the category is concerned as uh, when it comes to Academy Sunday between J-Lo and uh, Laura Dern there, but I would be in great favor of something from Little Woman breaking the barrier. So I have two takes on this. Number one, Little Women from 1994, I just reviewed it on Frakes on Film there, like you mentioned at the top of the episode. This character has a lot of meat on the bone. There's a lot she could play with this character. Good. So I, I, I totally I totally agree. can see this. Good. As being a I'm performance glad to hear that. that makes some sense. We haven't seen the movie yet. We really want to. Very soon we'll review it. Number two is that I am not super high on any single one of these contenders at this moment. You're higher on Kathy Bates, as you just said. She came out as your number one, and that makes a lot of sense. I love Laura Dern. I love J-Lo. I, I, I love them as actresses. I love the performances, but... And, I, I said it with J-Lo when we reviewed Hustlers. I don't think her performances were got nominated last year. I think, the, or the last two or three years, I think I said, since we've been covering this thing, I think those ten actresses are stronger than this year. Now, Laura Dern has a few scenes, but did any of them bowl you over? Here's what I'll say about Laura Dern, Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver, what I'm going to say at the end of this episode notwithstanding... <laughs> Am I wrong in feeling like there's a disturbance in the force of Marriage Story right now with its momentum? I I can't explain it, and I have nothing to back this up with. But I just feel, based on what people talk about on film Twitter, what I see in the precursors, just I have this feeling that the momentum is stalling there for everything pretty much except Dern and Driver. I do think when a movie comes out, it's coming off all the promotion, right? It's reviewed weeks earlier right but it's coming off all the promotion and people get a chance to see it so if if the public actually sees it and likes it like they do with marriage story and the audience scores stay high then all the critics talking about it you hear a lot of positivity is what sure I'm saying. i agree so um, a week or two later the honeymoon can be over we're on to the next thing we're talking making about a divorce pun 1917 <laughs> and right the honeymoon is over the marriage better have some strong roots is what i'm saying yeah, I, I can't tell if it's routine, like you're saying, it's just a, ca- a case of timing and it's had its time in the spotlight and it's on, or if it's legitimate. I, I, I can't get... Noah Baumbach is he's just... He was the bell of the ball before this thing came out and he was going to win director and it's just not there. I, there's something going on here, I, I feel. And I could be totally wrong. You could be totally right. It could just be... Matter of fact. At the end of the day, I think this is a movie about movie people. I think the, the Academy's going to love it. I think it's going to do well. I said that on our my review with Andrew. You know, there's another movie about it, movie people out there that Tarantino But I'm like, I think it'll level out. I don't necessarily think it, it, it's going to win three acting awards. I would be surprised by that. I think if it wins three acting awards, it's got to win Best Picture. 
That's I, I, I think, or at least screenplay too. It's and if it was Flows Four, it's got to win Best Picture. So that's that's a rocky road. It's probably going to be a major contender in screenplay. It's it's racking up screenplay yeah. awards. More on that in a minute. Let's move on to supporting actor Brad Pitt is in a large early lead on Joe Pesci, and refreshingly enough, you have Song Kang Ho good in third place with tied with Willem Dafoe, both of whom I would love yeah. to get a nomination there. I thought those two performances were special. I thought Pesci's performance was special, and Pitt, there's something special about him. This is the abs. This is a crazy... <laughs> This is a crazy year because the, the supporting actress performances, other than the, t- the top three, my top three right now, and Taylor Russell's special, and nobody's <laughs> nominating her. I don't understand that category at all. But at least you have, you know, you have distinction in this category. Jamie Foxx, who we've yet to see yet, yep. we're going to see that as soon as possible. You know, he has one. This category seems like a runaway, but again, we got to be hesitant. If Song Kang Ho's name pops up in this category on Oscar Sunday. I think Best Picture's over. I agree with you that that's going to be a huge indicator. Don't you feel that? Like if they if Parasite can work its way into one of the acting categories, God, the love for it from the Academy. Despite what I just said earlier about thinking that there's going to be this older branch that may not be willing to embrace it, which is it's all conjecture on my part. I don't know. I'm just speaking. Again, but. you beat me down in stats last week with supporting actors, but I do think that category is still wide open just based on the merits of that of those performances. And if if Supporting actor here is is going to be infiltrated by this best international film, which we said from the jump had Oscar worthy performances yeah. in it, right? Yes. And then the narratives, you know, flew off the handle. <laughs> I mean, like, it, but it makes sense here. But what I'm saying is, there's a supporting actress from Parasite that should be there as well. That would be interesting. And that, I wouldn't yeah. be. Sh- I mean, everybody was saying Marina De Tavera came out of nowhere last year. Yeah, it's year. true. I think the performances in Parasite are, are top-notch. They, they could wind up anywhere. Coming back to the opinion. supporting actor category, I think you're making good points. Also interesting to, to, to point out, Pacino not winning a single one. Kind of interesting to me. I think his ceiling's a nomination. Because b- beforehand, the perception about him was he was just going to miss, right? And now he's... Every- if he said hua, would he be taken more... <laughs> would it be a more classic Pacino? Uh, also, no Tom Hanks, who has been... Loved by the precursors and the major ones. Again, it's like a win to be nominated for him because yeah, he's been snubbed agreed. recently. So, And he's already got a bunch of awards, so he's probably not going to win it. Pesci's got a bunch of awards, so he's probably not going to win it. Do you think people are just saying, Brad Pitt's going to win it, so we might as well vote for him? It's the, it's the narrative I said last, that ORC. Yeah. If it was anybody else than a guy with the legacy and prestige and the cachet of Brad Pitt looking for his first Oscar, <laughs> we'd have an open category. I don't think we do. All right, let's move on to screenplay before we do like a bit of a lightning round here. Adapted screenplay, The Irishman and Little Women are tied at five. That's awesome. Makes sense. I would have thought Irishman in a runaway, so that's nice to see that Little Women's getting some play. It's exciting, and yeah. I think her narrative structure for that film is really exciting because I think the beginning of that 1994 movie sucked, if, and if she's going to go with a flashback structure, I'm all for it. If she upsets The Irishman, and wins adapted screenplay, and Noah Baumbach doesn't win original screenplay, mm. we get Divorce Story. <laughs> <laughs> Coming summer 2021 on Netflix. Do you think they'd collaborate? Or would it just be a Greta Gerwig picture? Because I would love either. I, look, Scarlett in my, Johansson and a Greta Wig. I am an evil, evil man because I would want to see that movie. <laughs> I know you're joking, but I'm like, 
Wow, actually, I can be good. talked into it. <laughs> I'm like the, at the end of Shadow of Vampire right now, folks. I'm Malkovich. All right, original screenplay, Marriage Story is up on Parasite, but it's close, eight to five. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is all, it's also you know right there with Parasite with five. Knives Out has four. This seems more like everybody in the critics association loves Marriage Story number one, like yep, you were saying. Makes sense. But we have some other contenders that could you know be a, be a major factor here. So this is where I'm going to make this point. <laughs> as far as stock being into the critic circles with nominations and awards, I cannot be dissuaded that there are some critic circles that care much more about the headline than they do about the merit of the film. Mm-hmm. And they care much more about appeasement of the masses than they do about rewarding, rewarding the right films. I'm not saying something like Parasite isn't worthy of a best screenplay. I just think it's peculiar that so many different critic circles happen to be coming around on the exact same films, the exact same categories. I think it's a little unique. Um, I think there is some sort of appeasement factor going on there. I don't think it's rampant. I don't think it happens with every circle. I certainly don't think it happens with the major ones. And I, I, I do think they're, in large part, do try to do it on a merit-based system. I'm just saying I don't think it happens all the time that way. So... We've seen it at the Academy level. Movie wins Best Picture. You get coattails. Right. For a Best Picture win. Right. So I think, what or what I hope is, it's not just trying to seem cool with a cool pick. Right. I hope what it is, is that they genuinely love the movie. Like, are they, they rewarding what they love, or are they rewarding what they think the Academy's going to pick? I mean, think about, what is this at the end of the day? It is people rewarding, awarding movies they love. Mm-hmm. So where do you give credit in certain areas is the question, right? right? So if people love Parasite, then they're going to... And, and they're not a technician, a tactician. They're not a screenwriter. They're a movie critic. Yeah, you could parse through it based on years of study, but you you still are not the same voter as the Academy, obviously. So you're going to have the, that coattails factor. It may, it may We've seen it based, sure. r- based on reading all of right. these, one after another after another all day. A movie does well. It's going to do well in a bunch of categories. So I think that makes sense to me. I think we're speaking the same language. I think we both did a long-winded explanation of the same thing. <laughs> but again, we're working through shit right now, folks. It's just therapy at this point. Cinematography 1917 is running away with it. Roger Deakins. Moving the camera. That is that category is over. Continuously. That category is over. I gotta see featurettes on how they did this. Did they all just like freeze in the last scene <laughs> that the the greatest script girl in the history of mankind was able to figure out the continuity? Of? The director Sam Mendes just said, "Don't move." <laughs> Everyone else, break for lunch. Ruthie Carter, is she getting another one for costumes? Dolomites out front now in, in costumes. I hope so. I'm not as sure as that as I am with the Roger Deakins call, but I sure, I mean, that's far and away my number one on the year. In terms of editing, we got Ford v. Ferrari, the, the racing movie. That makes, makes sense. sense. Baby Driver was a factor a couple years ago. I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do. All right. Well... We're recording this, like mm-hmm. we said at some point, on a Monday night, and all day Monday, we were waiting for the Oscars shortlist to come out. Yes. And we said, hey, uh, maybe they forgot to do them, maybe they won't be out, maybe they'll be out tomorrow. We didn't think they would wait until so late on the day on Monday, West Coast time, to actually drop these shortlists on us. But they're here! And they dropped on us literally mid-recording. And so, the Oscar shortlists of many categories from which the nominees will come now have been revealed. 
Yes. We're going to give a quick analysis of these shortlists. Uh, we were at the end of our scorecard, critic scorecard roundup segment anyway. So before we transition into making the case, like we will a couple times, and we'll have a take on Waves and my take on Marriage Story, which we've promised for a while, we're going to run down in kind of a quick manner, give you a quick overview of these shortlists. And uh, we're going to start by saying that included in these shortlists was the documentary short features, the animated short features, and the live action short features. We have not done enough prep work for those. Mike has seen a couple of those, but we're not going to go over those lists. There'll be all the other lists that we go over. Once we do more work into those shorts, we'll give you more of a, of a full analysis on them. Little Miss Sumo got snubbed <laughs> so bad. Starting off really pissed. I can't believe that happened. Lorena, I just watched Lorena last night. She runs marathons, Mike, in sandals. Is Come there, on, Academy. Is there any Midnight at the Garden this year like there was last year about the rise of the Nazi party taking over MSG? I'm sure they're all in there. I'm sure it's a parade of sadness. That's what I the come happy, for. The happy sports <laughs> movie. You're probably right. But I'm, I'm glad to see Fire in Paradise, which, of course, is a nightmare. And it's a wonderful film, beautiful film. It's a nightmare. It made me cry like ten times. It's on Netflix right now. There's a couple movies there on Netflix. Uh, go check them out. I can't wait to see them all for sure. All right, let's get started then. Let's dive into these lists, the short list for the documentary feature category, Michael. So 15 documentaries, four from Netflix that I know of. Some snubs right off the bat. I think most of the contenders are in there, but some snubs. Diego Maradona, that was getting some nominations yeah. throughout award season. Rolling Thunder Review, that was at, at one point you know, uh, high on everybody's projections. Sure. A Sea of Shadows, Tony Morrison, The Black Godfather. These are films we've mentioned for the most part recently. Those were late risers. Surprises. I'm hearing a lot of buzz lately about Midnight Family. And, Mike, I I'm very surprised that Honeyland got both this and the international film shortlist. Everybody out there is dead. <laughs> you need to see a physician. I, you are. I, how, do you not, how does this movie not drive you mad? Completely uh, mad. It's going to be an interesting one if that one makes the field. After what you've said, I'm going to have to break down and see it and see what all the fuss is about. But you had the Four Samas, the American Factories, the Apollo 11's Biggest Little Farm. I mean, I don't even really have many snubs here. Knock Down the House is nice to see. Maiden, that is nice to see, yeah. One Child Nation, they're all in here. One Child Nation, Four Sama, Apollo 11, those have kind of, American Factory, those have been the big four. Mm -hmm. Honeyland maybe is making its mark as the fifth. So uh, we might have one spot, maybe two in this one. I was wondering if both Apollos would make it, and The Apollo from HBO and Apollo 11 from CNN, they both made it. All we need is Carl Weathers. Have a big day for all things Apollo. I, I, that's a Rocky joke. That's a <laughs> <laughs> Mike, best international film. All right, my takes. Parasite, Pain and Glory, Les Miserables, they all made it. No surprise. The conspiracy theory is over. Feinberg has been all over Corpus Christi from Poland. So that's a call for Scott Feinberg nailing that one. It's nice to see Atlantics get in. Yes. We reviewed that a few weeks ago. Really cool ghost story. Beautiful to look at. Oh, my God. So this is a non-surprise. This is the non-surprise category because they included the Painted Bird, which critics walked, have been walking out of in film festivals for a while now. So you know the sadness level for a movie critic to walk out of a movie. <laughs> How sad and effed up does that movie have to be? And of course, these bunch of Scrooges have to go with the saddest movies ever because Beanpole was the saddest trailer. Yeah, of, it was. In the history of trailers, it was never mind. awful. <laughs> saddest trailer of the year. But again, the shocker... In both these categories, Honeyland gets in both. Does it matter? 
Does anything matter about this category? All right, there's two <laughs> snubs. Number one, Invisible Life from Brazil. That was getting nominated in other places. Weinberg was on it. Didn't come through. Monos. Uh, yeah, that's sad. That, that's sad. We were very I'm high sad about that. it. Uh, the IndieWire podcast uh, was all over it today. And I, I really loved the movie. I gave it a B plus, so I'm, I'm sad that that didn't get in. At least make the shortlist. I guess now you got to keep an eye on Honeyland. How serious is the Academy taking it in multiple uh, crossover categories here? We talk all the time about yeah. how foreign features or international pictures, as they're known now, are kind of the taking whole, over. The whole Academy can watch Honeyland now because of the streaming service. Yeah. They can watch these 10 films. These 10 films could get a boost now throughout the rest of the card. Uh, you never know. You expect Parasite to be there. You expect Les Mis to be there. You probably expect Pain and Glory to be there. Other than that, I think you could fill in the other two, right? I, I would agree. All right. right. Makeup and hairstyling. Bombshell Woo! gets in. I think I think all the big ones got in here, ex- except for what many people had as a big one that I was against. Uh, righteously. Yeah. Academy, you finally done something right. The Irishman is not up for makeup and hairstyling because it was awful in that movie. And it's not there. If you're going to do a movie about visual effects, you can't have makeup. The hair in that movie was gross. I'm afraid for my scalp (laughs) in the future. All right? It looked fake, a lot of the makeup in the movie. It looked like caricatures of gangsters. I, I said it then. I'll say it again now. It looked stupid. And I love the movie despite it looking stupid. Overall, that movie looked fucking stupid, and it shouldn't get as many awards because of that. Well, you're going to love when we get to the VFX category, then. (laughs) All right, Snubs, The Two Popes. I get why this doesn't... Yeah, I don't think that's a... Yeah, I'm okay with it. Hustlers, I was kind of rooting for it. You know, fun wigs, but all right. I get why it's not there either. A little weird, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil gets in here. Because there's a lot of movies like it, but it got in for crazy headpieces on Angelina if Jolie? I remember or? right, the precursor got act, got nominated. Wow. I'm almost positive, so I'm there's forgetting. that Disney love coming in. I'm forgetting. And then Joker has creepy makeup, but again, I was a little surprised. That's mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mostly Joaquin's face doing all the creepy stuff there, and, so yeah. You know, Judy, Bombshell, Rocketman, Dolomite, Hollywood, all do the recent period piece thing. Downton Abbey, Little Women, 1917, go further back. You just wanted to say Downton Abbey got in. I did. I did. Good for them. Original score, uh, you know, I don't know that we have that many surprises that made this short list. You were a big fan of Motherless Brooklyn. That's here. Pain and Glory, I haven't heard many people rave about the score of, but that finds itself on the short list. I was list. score deaf for that one. Uh, Parasite, maybe a surprise snub considering it gets in to the original song category. The last black man in San Francisco should be here. You had it, yeah, you were a big fan of that, and you're that not was, the only one. That's that probably the most egregious, especially especially when you consider something like The King does make itself known and The Last Black Man in San Francisco doesn't. That's kind of sad. Otherwise, uh, the only takes I have, I'm happy for Marriage Story. I'm happy for Joker, which has kind of been the leader in the clubhouse the whole way. 1917 is here. Star Wars is here. Us is here. Good. I think every big name we would expect to be here, Jojo Rabbit is here. No Cats. Cats doesn't make the list. No Cats. No Cats. Uh, original song. Beyonce is here. You can all oh, stop the rioting. Two from The Lion King. Though. Yeah. That's interesting. But Taylor Swift's not here, so maybe the rioting continues because no cats in original songs. Uh, Parasite gets a nod here for original song category. I still say this is a Beyonce photo op if ever there was one. Do you remember an original song from Parasite? No. Of course not. <laughs> but like this is what we were saying yesterday. Like The Icelandic documentary about glaciers is going to have a song in the Academy. 
different than what the Golden Globes are saying. This always happens. Yes. Uh, there is a song from Black Godfather that does make the list, and there is a song from the Toni Morrison, so interesting that while they don't get in on the documentary shortlist, Toni Morrison's here in original song, Black Godfather's here in original song, they are showing up elsewhere. Glasgow's the one I'm rooting for the most, I would say. I, I thought Toy Story 4 would have got two in. Yeah. They put their money maybe behind one, which might have been sm- the smart move. I know A Star is Born did that last year to make sure of it. This is Disney, no matter how you cut it. It's either Beyonce for The Lion King, Into the Unknown for Frozen 2. I think it's going to be one of those. Daily Battles is a better jazz song than it is a Tom York screech, I would say, for sure. Okay. The Rocket Man song makes me laugh. The, 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 the Breakthrough song makes me laugh. Again, the irony's there. I think Stand Up from Harriet is a sleeper. Yeah, definitely worthy. It's on the list. I think it'll be there come nomination time. Like we said previously, maybe a down year for original song. Maybe not so many with the bangers like we've had recently. But the saddest note about original song, without question, is that we have our definitive answer that the I Got Five on It remake is not an original song. It's not original. So that sucks. It's a remix. Remixes are not original I guess we figured that out today. Mike VFX. Visual effects shortlist. Cats makes the list. Fuck you. Also, Mike. (laughs) The Irishman makes the list, so also Mike can say fuck you. Yeah. Interesting to note that... I I knew that was going to happen. Right. Both Gemini Man and the Irishman are here, so that says a lot about how the Academy is willing to embrace what they see as screen-ready, de-aging VFX for these major motion pictures. I don't think it's a surprise that the Irishman's here. Probably a surprise that Ad Astra doesn't make the list, considering how well it was doing in the critics' circle when it comes to VFX support. Ford v. Ferrari, also not on the shortlist here for VFX. Ad Astra's won a couple of precursors. Yeah, a little surprising. So that's a little surprising. I'm all over Alita Battle Angel in this category. I'm glad it's here. That would have been a huge snub. The Irishman I knew was going to be here. Right. Terminator Dark Fate, that's cool that it's here. Captain Marvel, that's cool that it's here. I'm all about uh, Star Wars having great FX, so I'm glad for that too. The Lion King is cheating. But it's such a technical achievement that it's really not cheating. If you're going to award it, you're going to award it. I still say there should be two categories. You can't have Avengers Endgame in with something like that's more practical. It doesn't make sense to me, but that's how they're going to do it. They usually side on the side of practicality and not the big money, huge budget ones. The only other snub, uh, Clayton Davis had the Aeronauts at number five in this category for him. So he had it in making nomination. It doesn't make the short list. A lot of people had the Aeronauts up there. That's Amazon struggling, dude. Amazon's having a rough go uh, the Academy uh, Mm. the last couple years. But those those are your short lists in total. We will move on here and close out this episode with us making the case about a couple things. Mike has two that he will start with. uh, And we're going to start making the case for or against Waves, Michael? For Taylor Russell and Sterling K. Brown for waves overall. I give it a B plus 88 overall, so that's a high grade for me. Look, Sterling K. Brown is teaching men how to be men, and he's teaching men how to feel their emotions, express emotions. He's doing it in his work throughout cinema. I mean, he's, he's, he's a man that works his ass off as a character in, the, in this movie, as, a, as an actor in the movie business, and, you know, he's preaching against toxic masculinity. It's a major theme in this film. So I, I just think, you know, in terms of narratives, in terms of him being on the rise, putting in one great performance after the next, we thought he was one of the best performances la- uh, last year for Black Panther. Yeah. It's absurd to me that he is not being considered in more top fives for best supporting actor. And I think it's wrong. And I, I think it's I think it's not enough people seeing this film. I'm very upset about it. 
And Taylor Russell is in my top three, never mind my top five. Again, I have maligned the supporting actress category as being something that's very strong. So take that into consideration. But Taylor Russell is is a debut essentially performance it's a breakthrough performance for her and everybody's putting her slotting her in that category i think it's a great performance period it's in my top five i would have thought she had more legs she kind of came out of the blocks early with getting a couple surprise nominations yeah. sterling k brown when we had matt negley on talking about the telluride film festival back in september he was raving about his sterling k brown's academy awards chances I, we were very hopeful because he's just been a favorite of ours for so long him not being anywhere is really shocking i would say both of these being omitted for the most part pretty surprising and kelvin harrison jr is great in this as well i mean it's a tough movie to watch but it's it's rewarding and it's got great production values and it's got great performances so go see it number one and then, uh, you know, vote for it, if you can still vote for it. If we have any influence whatsoever. <laughs> All right, I want to make the case against Dark Waters. You did see this. This I, is disheartening. I had high hopes for this. I did not want to see this. I avoided it for many a days. But I finally went to go see it at the movie theaters. And, Mike, it's not an Oscar-worthy film. But I was pleasantly surprised to get a good movie here. Oh, good. So I did, in fact, enjoy my time at the movies. I loved Mark Ruffalo's performance. I thought Anne Hathaway's performance was excellent. You know, you can quabble with her character. But at the end, it's not going to crack any top fives or top tens. Look, it's a strong movie with a great message. Also, don't use Teflon. (laughs) (laughs) We landed on a space I didn't think we were landing on there. So no Oscars likes for Dark Waters. No, no, I don't think so. Is Mark Ruffalo only going to make pictures about uh, political messages that he can force down people's throats from now on? Is this his career? That and Hulk? Yeah, but if you make a good argument... Oh, I don't disagree. I'm not saying that to be mean about it. Big corporations are doing bad things. Uh, and how many cows is too many cows? Did we get a definitive answer? How many cows, if you're a dairy farmer, do you have to lose before you call her Mark Ruffalo? There's a lot of cows... <laughs> And there's some hefty eyebrow makeup on 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 my brows. Cows and brows. Man. I I did not like Bill. Camp if in this. Dark it's Water too over the top. was called Cows and Brows instead, would the Academy <laughs> take it more? My ten part investigative series. <laughs> I hope that's the working title. Look, Todd Haynes is a, is a great filmmaker. Yes, obviously. I think that's what this tells me. At the end of the day, you couldn't have all this personnel in, involved in Dark Waters and not get a good movie at the end of it. You got a good movie at the end of it for me. Like, is it a, is it an A plus? No, it's probably a B minus B. It's in. There. Is it an Oscar? Is there anything Oscar about it any year? No, no, it just doesn't fall short. I think it would always be like an 11th, 12th. To me, like, it's it's not as good as, like, Mary Queen of Scots was last year. Like, I thought that was a solid low B kind of thing. It reminds me of that. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's good to know. It's I'd still, I mean, all you did was heighten. I'd still want to see it. So I'm glad to hear that at least it's worth its time sitting in front of a screen and watching it. It's nice to hear. It's better than okay. Right. This is the movie critic at the end of a long podcast recording saying, better than okay, that's all I got. <laughs> it's your time to talk right now. We do want to give a big spoiler warning, though, because yes. we're going to outline some scenes in Marriage Story. Look, I, I said it in our review with Andrew at, from the Nomcast that I don't think spoilers should scare a lot of people from this. Like, you can know exactly what's going to happen, and just the fact that you see it happening in front of you is, is worth You've watching. You've seen the fucking memes on Twitter by now. You've seen the memes. <laughs> You've seen the basically the arc of the story in the trailers. Right. However... We are going to talk some spoilers for Marriage Story, so Mike, start us off. Okay, I, I watched Marriage Story uh, when I was sick, when I first got bronchitis, we were going to do, I was supposed to be part of the recording with Andrew, thank you once again to Andrew for filling mm-hmm. in, essentially, on my behalf, uh, I thought you guys did a great job breaking it down. Uh, I had different takes, go figure, about this movie. 
than than I think you guys presented. And I think that a lot of people presented. I think these are takes that are probably going to be attorney centric. I'm so glad about that. Though. I, I can't help it, and I know I'm going to get yelled at for a couple things, but I did notice some things that were infuriating <laughs> about this movie from an attorney's point of view. But let me However, start. Yeah, yeah, let me start with the positive, and let me start by pretty much giving this a glowing recommendation. I really enjoyed this movie, and I think it lives up to the hype people have with it. I personally gave it an 88 on my first watch. I bumped wow. it down one point to an 87 after my second. Solid B plus all day long. It also puts it squarely within my top 10 films of the year. Excellent. I mean, th- this is something that I hated things about The Irishman, but I still love the movie. I think we're growing. As human beings. <laughs> we could only hope. And as individuals. After so, so long. <laughs> the highs can outweigh the lows, and we have some art to Good. our to our actual personhood. And there was art in this movie, yes. too. I mean, there's a lot to like about it. What makes this movie so great to me, in part, is that I find it wholly believable and an authentic retelling of what the divorce process feels like from all sides. Oh, God. Not just the attorney side. I'll get there. So it's all real, Mike? It's all real? It, like, too real. And I give Bob back a lot of credit for that. I'm going to get into it. But this is also going to lead me to what I think is my first controversial opinion about this film. Okay. The scene where Charlie comes home and shares with Nicole his excitement about having landed the grant and is eventually served at the end of that scene and he's questioning everything. Why was there a pie? That's the best scene of the movie. I totally agree. If it gets screenplay success, that scene is my highlight too. I agree. And I agree. I think that's where you have to start with these acting conversations because it's the most real scene. Any case being made for best actor or best actress on behalf of ScarJo or on behalf of Adam Driver, I think it has to start there and not at either the more Oscar grabby, somewhat forced, if we're being honest with ourselves, monologue to Laura Dern from Scarlett Johansson, which I think you can see the equivalent of in many top Broadway plays, if not done better. So, my biggest quabble with you there is that she is an actress in the movie. Her character is an actress. So you think she was getting that deep into it? And her character is a theater actress. She does this for it's a, a fair counter argument. How many monologues has she given in her life? So to for her to be an actress playing an actress who gives a lot of monologues in that scene having to literally just all right tell me your story yeah, it's a fair counter argument i, I think I, it makes I, sense. I think i think that there's a little, there's some merit to that so i'm I, i'm not jumping down the throat it is it is a captivating scene certainly regardless of my personal feelings about it i also think the getting served scene is better than the infamous fight scene which functions to me more properly as a meme generator for social media yeah. than it does in its placement within this script scary memes the i mean for Christ's sake, the I wish you would die with cancer, and then it's Nicole who reaches out first to comfort Charlie when he immediately breaks down. That's either unrealistic or the entire relationship has been a one-sided abuse towards her, and we weren't shown that. So I don't think that's what it is. That was a little off base to me. To me, it was a Mike Nichols-level blowout from, like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Never mind Ooh. closer or something newer. I mean, it was like that, just addicting. It is, of... it is addicting, but I think it was purposefully so. Right. I think it was a little contrived. I think that's fair to say, too, based on how it's been received well, in social movie media. Builds up to yeah. it. <laughs> and every point from the movie previously is referenced right. there. Yeah. But that kitchen scene I go back to where right. drivers served, the range of emotions, the confusion, to outrage, to bewilderment, course corrected to the reality of it all settling, that's driver's best work of the movie as well to me. Everything is at once complicated, confusing, and yet 
very routine. Yeah. And I think ScarJo's near perfect tonally as well. The embodiment that she plays of this idea that no matter how much you stress over a shitty situation, you're still going to end up feeling unprepared for how it actually plays out. Wow. And that's, I think, the strength of the scene is how much we can relate to these characters and how well they pull that off, aided by the script as well. And I also want to give credit to and highlight the nature in which the legal, quote-unquote, attacks are portrayed here vis-a-vis how they played out in real life. Mm-hmm. I was stunned, like actually stunned, mouth agape at the balance with which Bombac was able to portray simple everyday life occurrences in one scene and then have them be turned into arguments in the divorce proceedings in the next scene. Uh, this happens with Dern and Leota primarily, especially that scene where Leota takes the wine drinking where she just says, yeah. Scarjo says in passing, I just had too many to stand up. And he turns that into a, an actual argument. So from your perspective, which is usually inside of a courtroom. Yes. Right? Working for the judge, yes. You see these things transpire. Yes. And that seemed like something you've experienced Absolutely. Before. A thousand percent, yes. I, I know it's not the end point of the film. It's the midpoint of the film. But it, that's that's really cool to hear. It's very true to life. It's scary to hear, but... Uh, it I'm, is, I'm yeah. Glad. I mean, it's terrifying. It is. And I understand how it can be scary to lay people. And there is a difference between regular everyday people, which Baumbach is highlighting, and people that have gone through this game of law school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's worth highlighting as well. But... From either the real-life side of that kind of occurrence or the side of being in a courtroom as such these cases play out, I think that's one of the most accurate portrayals of how these quote-unquote attacks, as they were both characterized, play play out in a legal situation. And I think it's one of the most authentic portrayals brought to life on screen. I'd really want to give him credit for that. High praise. And Bombac, too... My last positive note before this all goes downhill, I think he should be commended for the way in which he pens attorneys speaking to clients. As Alda talks about how it all looks in the eyes of the court, but then not wanting to go to court, but consistently talking about court without being able to give a straight answer as to whether they'll end up at court, and Adam Driver says, frankly, you know how crazy you sound? And Alda, without breaking a beat, yes. That is so real. And it's not a failing of the system. It's just... You gotta think of attorneys when they're in attorney mode sometimes as people from a different country. It's just two people speaking different languages Ugh. trying to find common ground. Ugh. And, and I, I don't think it's a failing of the system. I think it's just two separate entities. I think that was very well portrayed. I give Bombac a ton of credit for all of those things. But it is my lens through an attorney that bars me from being able to consider this as the best picture of 2019. Hmm. Okay. Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are wonderful. Dern and Alda are wonderful, and Ray Liotta deserves his own award for most realistic portrayal of a veteran weathered family attorney I've ever seen. If he's not a family attorney on the side, he should be, based on what I saw from this movie. But the reality is, if either of the two leads were my clients going through this proceeding, they would have forced me to quit the practice and give up my bar license. Okay? Each one is infuriatingly and unrealistically naive every step of the way. To the point it sucked me out of the movie a couple times because I couldn't get past the artistic license Bombac was using in the script after having constituted these characters. Nobody going through a divorce proceeding, especially a contentious one, regardless of whether that was their intent to be contentious or not at the outset, would be as willfully ignorant and blind to what is coming next or what is happening as these two are specifically the Charlie character. And even if they might have been dumb, you wouldn't have let them. As their attorney, you would not. That's the whole point! If you're charging $1,000 an hour because you're that good as a family attorney, it's your job to make sure they're not 
this naive. You would protect them and implore them to do research to protect themselves. In the movie, it's a walking on eggshells dance because they're compositing the scenes in this is my I'm going to hire you scene. Right. And I'm sure like in your I'm going to I might get a job scene, you might be you might be a little softer on some of the that stuff. All that being said, my guess is he took the timeline of the actual feelings and he Truncated it. He smushed it together. He had to. But my argument to that would be, then why show so many closed-door meetings Charlie did have with other attorneys as he's on the hunt for the attorney and he meets with Ray Liotta for the first time and he does go through with Alan Alda. Why show all that then to show that this guy has been weathered through the process only for him to come out the other side? He's either a moron, which he's not, we know he's not, the most naive person in the human world when it comes to his ex-wife. Yeah. I guess it's possible. I don't think it's probable. I'll tell you why. But you're not going to like the answer. Go ahead. Because in the hero's journey and in this <laughs> storytelling format, in terms of you know that early act one scene, you have to have a mentor. And Alan Alda mm-hmm. character is a mentor. Yes. The Ray Liotta character is, the, uh, is basically the failed mentor that he visits before he gets thrown into act two. But bottom line is, you need a mentor character early act two and that is the time with the mentor character. And they both have them, which is, you know... From a screenwriting perspective, yeah, you're saying it works. I'm saying I think he forced these mm-hmm. the, the timeline. He switched the timeline a little bit. Because, I mean, if you're, if you're in this actual process, like what you're saying is, the lawyer is not going to let you be ignorant to these things in Correct. your life. So there is a, you know, a realization, you know, of all of these different things about your significant non-other anymore. Right. Over a course of a couple months of prepping, probably. And then there is the the time of the trial. You're not going to learn it in the time of the trial, but it's boring to put those couple months of prep in the movie, is what I'm saying. I don't disagree, but by the time we're in this hearing between Dern, Alda, we're all in this room together, mm-hmm. and Adam Driver is still like, I can't believe you're talking to me this way. Do you know how crazy yeah. you sound? That's unrealistic. And it's unrealistic he's that ill-prepared. And every time the Charlie character tells someone yeah. Nicole wouldn't do that, I wanted to blow my brains out. Right. Yes, she would. And you know she would. <laughs> she just yelled at you, by the way, on Halloween night about going through your emails and finding out you were sleeping with someone else. And at this point, after the whole process of you being his attorney. Right. He would, because you would make sure he would. So we've had these, yeah, I mean, we've had these meetings, the prep, we've already been in front of a judge, we got every step, and then the self-sabotage that these two do. Mm. <laughs> you are shaking. <laughs> the attorney like, wouldn't let them do this. Like, the, the, uh, the third party that mm. gets appointed by the court to come to watch Adam Driver and how he interacts with his kid at his L.A. home. Yeah. There is no amount of right. nervous energy in the world that would compel any person in this situation to actually re, not for the first time, but reintroduce the knife trick yeah. for the second time just on the basis of what might happen or what did happen might happen anyway. I was cringing so hard that I was probably upside down on the <laughs> sofa. And this has happened every time I've watched that scene. That I couldn't, I was just worn down. I couldn't even object to it because I was just like, but I agree with you. That was the most skin crawling scene I've ever watched. And if that happens in real life, the woman calls DCF, the child gets taken away that night, and Adam Driver goes in handcuffs, probably. Probably. (laughs) 
I mean, that's probably what happens. He's playing a game with a sharp object and cutting himself in front of his kid, essentially. I mean, she's there essentially to to do a job where she's not trying to provoke him, but right. at the same time, she's trying to poke the nest a little bit to see if there's something she's just, underneath. She's not even. She's just gathering information. Whatever happens plays out in front of her. It's, it doesn't matter. She's not going to be the judge of it anyway. She's yeah, just in, there. In her job description, mm-hmm. she knows that people are going to put on a nice, happy face for her, right? So she's got to... She's got to do something in her job to, like, see if she can see some kind of abuse underneath or, or whatever, right? Or yes, ideally, not, yeah. Or it, but it's she's not, not trying to poke the bear. Right. Out. She's just trying to get a sense of the living condition well, and whether or not it's, it's suitable. Scene. She, I mean, it was nervous, and it, she was painted playing this character, too. It was kind of funny. Yeah. She was, like, talking about how there's air pollution. I, I get that. I'm more forgiving of that. But I think the, the lack of preparation happens on both sides, too, by the way. And I know I'm running along here, so I'll wrap up uh, just making this last point, too. But when, when Nicole is going through her steps, talking about when she's going to meet with this third-party yeah. evaluator, and Laura Dern doesn't step in when she mentions the weed... When she makes sure to mention the one time she did coke. When she makes sure to mention how she only buys bottles of wine. Yeah, but that was in the rehearsal with Laura Dern. Before, before we realize that, yes, you're right. But Laura Dern doesn't step in and say, hey, client, don't say these fucking things until she has the gall to attack Adam Driver's character. I, I, I understand my lens is warped. <laughs> I understand I'm coming at this from a place that not a lot of people have. I could, it was skin crawlingly awkward for me to watch this a couple times because if these attorneys are worth $1,000 an hour, $900 an hour, yeah. you see them cutting checks for twenty five grand at a lot, you're not going to be this ill-prepared. And I understand as a concept, as, as a plot device of the story to move it along to where you got to go, many lay people feel like they are. I guarantee you, I promise you people, if you are this ill-prepared, get a new fucking attorney, okay? <laughs> you're not supposed to be this ill-prepared. I understand they had to be for the movie's sake, but any attorney, I think, should hopefully find issue with some of these things. That's my piping hot marriage story take that's been simmering in the oven for a while. That is interesting. I, I wouldn't obviously I wouldn't have known all that stuff going in. I I, I, I know exactly why he does it. Right. Because I understand it. He has to fix. He's got an Act One problem because you got like Act One is supposed to be six months, right? That you're supposed to portray. Yeah. And there's problem, and, and and he's he's not able to show six months of homework, of preparation mm-hmm. for these lawyers. You can't show that, right? It's and not cinematic. boring, right? It's not cinematic at all. But he does go through the steps again of making sure you see that Adam Driver has interacted with these attorneys so many times, like back meetings before we even get to the yeah, first yeah. meeting in front of Laura Dern. He's got to synthesize the, those all those right. months of prep right. into the actual experience of the events now. I would hope that any attorney that sees this has the same issues. And if they don't, I'll, I'll, I'll fight you. <laughs> you should get their clients is what should happen. Can I be your publicity yes, agent for yes. a second? <laughs> clients come here. Don't go there. All right. That is a wild and wacky and upsy-down and topsy-turvy and long Oscar race checkpoint for you. We said we uh, we had some big takes and we had some stuff we knew was going to be in the pipeline. We had to get through it all. We knew it was going to be kind of a big episode for you. So hopefully you guys have enough takes to spit back at us. And we want to hear your thoughts on the Oscar shortlist, on Mike's takes on Waves, on my takes on Marriage Story, on any of the... What do we start? My God, we started this episode three days ago with a Richard Jewell review. Uh, we want to hear your takes on those yes. as well. Uh, you can reach out to us, leave us those... Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar 
Oscar on Instagram at MMAntOscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. If you happen to use an iPhone or use Apple Podcasts or know someone who does, if you could please bother to look us up, Mike, Mike and Oscar in the iP- in the Apple Podcast search, uh, tap on our logo after doing so. You can scroll down and leave us five stars. Thank you to all of you, the hundreds of you or so who have. Michael, what is next? Well, we got more Oscar H checkpoints, more Mike, Mike, and Oscar weekly episodes. We're going to review Star Wars, the last the last Skywalker, or the Rise of Skywalker. The last the... Jedi before the first Jedi, Correct. And the last Jedi. Correct. Walker. And then uh, Cats. <laughs> And then cats. We're going to review cats in some way, shape, or form as of now. 80-some-odd percent of people in that poll I put up Sunday night, you heartless, heartless bastards. This is going to be funny. It's just going to be funny. So just tune in for a train wreck. Tune in for a train wreck if you go see the movie. Tune in for a train wreck to listen to my co-host here try and review that film. It's wise to do that. I'll, I'll composite something in this episode and say that's my words of wisdom. And there's my pitch of things coming up. I'd rather counsel Charlie through a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. When reality or, you know, the movie Cats sucks, you can come watch other movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in a few days. See you.